All right. Hey, boy, the kids did great, huh? All right. So um, you may have noticed uh, that in that play, which I, I, I wrote that play, um, and, and some of it is uh, just taken directly out of the Bible. The first half was largely taken directly, directly out of Scripture, quoted Scripture. Uh, and then a bunch of it wasn't. I, don't, I, I hope you can tell <laughs> which parts were and which parts weren't. Um, but the other part uh, was really like that second half is really um, my speculation of like what, what might have happened, right? Because that's what fascinates me. When we look at uh, the account from Scripture, Luke 2, chapter 20 says this. Do we got it? Uh, the, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And then we don't hear about the shepherds ever again in Scripture. We don't know what happened after that. Um, and so I like to think about, like, what might have happened? Because I don't think that they told everyone and everyone just said, oh, that's amazing, that's great. Because that's never, that never has been the case. Anytime Jesus is proclaimed, People doubt, people are speculative, they, they don't believe it, um, and so they probably faced some of the types of things that we depicted in the play. People doubting them, um, people accusing them of heresy. Um, you had people back then, at that time in Israel, because they were occupied by the Roman government, um, most Israelites were hoping for and longing for and looking for a militaristic Messiah. They wanted someone who would free them from the Roman Empire. And so that's really that last character, Charlie. That's what that represents, right? That, that's what, that was truly the hope. And really most of the disappointment uh, and, and denial of Jesus was around the fact that he wasn't trying to lead a revolution against uh, the Roman Empire. And so um, that's kind of, you know, when we think about what, what was it like for them to go and proclaim um, this good news that they had received, what, what are they going to be faced with? And we know that it probably wasn't you received well. Um, and why would that be the case? If they're bringing what we call good news, why is that the case? Well, the Apostle Peter, who's one of Jesus' closest uh, followers, he wrote uh, a letter that we have in the Bible. Um, it's called, we call it First Peter. There's, there's two of them, First and Second Peter. First Peter, uh, chapter 3, he asks a similar question. And so we're going to look at a few verses in First Peter, chapter 3, starting with verses 13 and 14 where he says this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sakes, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. His question that he asks is, who is there to harm you? And the answer, when we think about that question, is, you know, who is there to harm you if you're zealous, right? If you're passionate about doing what is good, who is there to harm you? And the answer is, frankly, a lot of people. Right? That's not the, the obvious answer is, well, there's quite a few people who would be interested in harming you. It's not something that is universally accepted. Well, Paul, the apostle, also asks a similar question in Romans chapter 8, where he says, if God is for us, who should be against us? Right? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? His question is essentially like, if God is on our side, who can be against us? And again, the answer is a lot of people. Right? It's not as though you just say, hey, I, I'm, I'm on God's side, I'm fighting for the sake of the faith, that that is then universally well-received. No, there are a lot of people who might be against you just because you are on God's side doesn't necessarily mean anything. The real implication of this question is, if God is for us, 
what does it matter who is against us? He says, if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you will be blessed. That even though we, we might, may suffer for doing what is good, we will be blessed, but only if you do, if you suffer for doing what is good, right? If you suffer uh, just because you're a jerk, that doesn't really doesn't benefit you in any way. But he says, if you suffer for doing what is good, then you are blessed. He tells, encourages them not to fear intimidation. He says, don't be afraid of those who might cause you to suffer for the sake of righteousness. In Isaiah chapter 8, he speaks to this, the prophet Isaiah speaks to this, and the fear that we should have. He says this, verses 11 through 13, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be in dread. For the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Connected to this idea that if God is for us, what does it matter who's against us? Is, is this idea that we have a better thing to be afraid of, right? God is so powerful that if he were not on our side, we ought to be afraid. But if we know that he loves us, then that is actually security in knowing that he is on our side. And what he tells us here is, the world has afraid of a lot of things, right? The world has all of these conspiracies, has all of these things that they tell you to be afraid of, right? If you just turn on any news, and I don't care what news it is, whether it's traditional news or some alternative news source that you've found online, all news is based around the idea of, at six o'clock, we have something new for you to be afraid of. And stay tuned at 11 for something new to be afraid of, right? That's the whole thing is based on either like making you uh, afraid or angry, right? And it's put forward constantly for you of here's something new for you to be afraid of. But what he's saying is don't be afraid of the things that the world is afraid of because we know that we have something better than that. You should not be troubled even when the state of the world is quite troubling because we know that God is in control and we know that he is stronger than those things. We'll continue with verse 15 of chapter 3. It says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. He says the alternative to being troubled and being afraid and all of these things is to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. Now, I know there's a couple of words in there that uh, are very churchy, and like you didn't use them. You didn't use the word sanctify uh, this month, right? I'm just going to go out and let you probably didn't use it. Honestly, even if you're a church person, you probably didn't use the word sanctify. So what do we mean when we say sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart? Sanctify means to set apart as holy, set apart for special use. And he's saying set him apart as Lord. And again, Lord it's a very old-fashioned word, right? Unless you're in like some kind of period piece drama, you're not using the word Lord, right? In that case, you're like, oh, yes, my Lord, thank you for, you know, that kind of thing. Well, we don't use the word Lord anymore, but essentially means someone that you intend to obey, right? It's, it's master. It's the person that you are responding to that you are going to obey. So when he says sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, he's saying set him in a special place as being in charge in your heart. 
Make him king over your heart, over your decision-making, over your emotions, over everything. Put him in charge of it all. Let him rule in your life. That is the alternative to being afraid, is to allow him to be in charge in your life. And that's honestly not the place that even even believers often don't put him in that position in our lives, right? We prefer and are often much more comfortable making Jesus a uh, consultant, right? Like, hey, you know, uh, I've got a big decision. Let's just ask Jesus what he might think about it. And then, like, Jesus, you can weigh in, and, and I'll, I might go with you. It might be, if it good, it's a good idea, and if it works it for me, then maybe I'll go with that. But we very likely might go, you know what, no, I know that that would be the, the thing that Jesus wants me to do, but I want to do this other thing. And so that's, he just plays a consultant role in our lives. And it may, might be good advice, maybe not. We're, we're just going to go with it when we feel like it. The other role we often put him in instead of king is, uh, is genie, right? Is that kind of like something is going wrong or I need something to change. And so I'm just going to, you know, kind of pick up my, uh, my magic lamp and maybe you, it, for you, it's your Bible, and you're going to rub it and, and make a wish and hope that it comes true. Right? That's often how we approach prayer. It's how we approach often and just our dealing with God is, I have a problem right now. Let me make a wish and hope that God makes it go the way that I want it to go. That's, again, much different than allowing him to rule in our lives, allowing him to have the position of king in our lives. But that's what he calls us to. Now, in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, he speaks to this reality uh, of how we don't view God correctly. This is the, the prophet Isaiah speaking, and he says, This people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. He puts forward this idea that that. We honor him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. So we say the right things, but our hearts are not in it. Right? And you know people like this. You know people like this in your life that you can't trust the things that they say. Right? They, they say they're going to be there, but then they don't show up. And you know that, like, that, that just becomes part of their life. And oftentimes that's us with Jesus. And does Jesus feel that way about you? That like, you, yeah, you say you talk a good talk. You say that you believe. You say that you're going to do these things. But do you actually, does it actually come through in how you live your life? So what Peter is saying here is that when we suffer for the sake of righteousness, when there are people that are against us, when there are all these bad things that might happen to us, the alternative is to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, in our hearts personally. And oftentimes, we get worked up about how other people are doing these things, right? This is a big thing at Christmas that we get, uh, th th there's this whole like war on Christmas thing, right? Where we get, someone says happy holidays and we take it as a personal offense. Like, how dare you? It's Merry Christmas, right? But the, the thing is, it's, it's how what we do about it. How do we honor Christ in our hearts? How do we honor him? And when we honor him, it will cause other people to honor him. That's the best thing you can do. To, to, if you want people in your life to treat Jesus with respect, is for you to treat him with respect. I, I, I've learned this lesson through um, my father-in-law 
uh, used to own a Corvette. And he, he w- took really good care of this Corvette. He wouldn't even drive. If it was raining, he wouldn't even drive it. And so one day he had driven it to work. He used to work up in Placerville. And he had driven it up there. And uh, it was going to rain. And so he, uh, he called me and asked me if I would come and get it, like tr- dr- drop my car off and drive his car back and park it in his garage. Um, and I was terrified. Okay? Because, I mean, he always took such good care of this car, kept, kept it in really good condition and all that. And, like, I, I'm, I'm just not a, I'm not a car guy. I, I'm not necessarily, like, super, I'm like, but that day, I was, you know, like, 10 and 2. I was on the road, definitely no, like, don't, not even look at my phone, anything like that, driving so carefully to get this car home, right? Because of how he treated it. And that's probably true in your life. You probably have things like this uh, in your own life where you know someone, maybe like right now you get Christmas decorations out and that kind of thing, and sometimes people have heirlooms. Maybe you have something that, you know, belonged to your great-grandmother or something like that, and, and you have just seen how people in your family have handled it. They handle it with great care. They keep good care of it. And so when you take it out of the box, you are like so careful to put it somewhere safe and keep it somewhere safe. And when you put it away, you wrap it up nicely, all that kind of thing, because of how someone else treated it. The same can be true in our lives for how people treat Jesus, especially how they treat him around us, is do we honor him in our own lives that will often cause other people to do the same thing. He also encourages us in this passage to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. He wants us to have a reason, to be able to give a reason. that If we are believers in Christ, we should be able to tell other people why, be able to tell people what he has done for us to give them a reason for the hope that is in it, yet with gentleness and respect. He actually gives us a direction about how to do that, that it's not to be argumentative, it's not to beat people over the head with it. It should be done with gentleness and respect. We'll look next here at verses 16 and 17. It says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That is a real obvious thing here. He tells them it's better for you to suffer for doing what is good than for doing what is evil. That's pretty obvious and natural. Like, again, you don't get any credit for being a jerk. Right? No, no one's going if, to, if, like, oh, everyone, everyone hates me. Why? Well, I'm a bad person. Okay, well, then that's just what you get. Everybody says, but if you suffer for doing what is good, then you get credit with God. So he encourages us to keep a good conscience, right? And again, that's for good reason. God gave us our conscience for a reason. If something feels wrong, it usually is. I wish we should respond correctly. James chapter 4 speaks of this. In verse 17, where he tells them, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We'll look lastly here at verse 18. He says, for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So here in this last verse, he tells them, for Christ suffered once for sins. He's giving them a reason for all the other stuff that we've talked about. He gives us all these other commands. Now he's going to give us the reason. Why should we do that? Because Jesus died for sins. 
So if we go over the things that he has said in this passage, right, he says, you are blessed because Jesus died for sins. He says, do not fear, do not be troubled because Jesus died for sins. Honor Christ as Lord in your heart because Jesus died for sins. Be ready to make a defense for your hope because Jesus died for sins. Keep a good conscience because Jesus died for sins. Peter gives us these instructions in this passage, but it is all justified by verse 18. He tells them to do these things because Jesus died for sins. Christ Jesus died for sins once and for all. There's no going back. Oftentimes, people get this twisted, even believers. But certainly when I talk to people that aren't Christians, uh, that, that aren't believers um, out in the world, um, there, there's, a, there's a very different situation. If I meet somebody for the first time, um, there always comes a point in the conversation where they say, well, what do you do? And then I say, well, I'm a pastor. And then it changes. Everything changes. Um, it either all, the whole conversation becomes about that or it becomes about that person trying to get out of the conversation as quick as possible, right? Uh, and, and part of that, oftentimes in those conversations that I have, I get to this idea that people have this picture of Christians and this picture of Christianity that being a Christian is about do, not doing a bunch of stuff. Right? We've got a big list of things we're not supposed to do. And then we try to do some good things and all of that to try to like earn our way to heaven, right? That if we get enough, we don't do enough bad things and we do enough good things, then eventually we'll earn our way to heaven and be, be able to go to heaven when we die. And I'm here to tell you today, set the record straight, that is nonsense. That is not what any of this is about. It's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has done. Because all of us fall short of the standard, right? None of us are good enough. To God's standard, God's standard is perfection, and we're not good enough. And so we're destined to spend eternity apart from him, what we often refer to as hell. But God loved us enough that he sent Jesus in the form of a baby. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, is that he took on, God took on human form. And then he lived a sinless life, right? He grew up, lived, and he never did anything wrong. He never hurt anybody. He never lied. He never stole. He never did anything wrong in his entire life. And then he died on the cross for our sins. His death on the cross paid for our sins because God said it did. God said that is substitutionary. That, that, is your, that can be your death. And so all we have to do if we want to have peace with God, if we want to go to heaven when we die, if we want to have abundant life here and now, all we are required to do is to simply accept that, to say, yes, I want that. That forgiveness that you've offered, I want that for myself, and I want to make you Lord in my life. I want to give you control of my life. I want to turn it over because how I've been trying to make myself happy isn't working. So I want to turn my life over to you. That is all that is required. It is a free gift. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done. That's why Peter says all these things because Jesus died for sins. Because anything then that we do, any good that we try to do as Christians, anything that we try to not do is simply out of a response of, to what he has done for us. Because he has loved us so much, we want to do those things. But we're not trying to earn anything at all. 
Because Jesus is the only one who's truly good. That's why he says in this passage that the righteous for the unrighteous, or the just for the unjust. In Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul says it this way, God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. It says that so he might bring us to God, he put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. God didn't save us just to sit on the couch. He gives, he gives us things to do. He gives us good things to do. This is the good news that the angels proclaimed to the shepherds, that God became a man, that he lived a perfect life in the Spirit. He died for sins once and for all so that we might have life in the Spirit. And that same Spirit that lived in Jesus now lives in you if you believe in Him, if you claim Him as your Savior. And this is the message that we carry, the same as the shepherds. If this is a hope that you have for yourself, this is the message you carry, and you need to be like the shepherds and not afraid to go and tell people about it. Give, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Share the love that Jesus has given us. And if it's not a love that you have experienced yet, I'd encourage you to find it today. If you need somebody to talk to you more about it, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But you probably know other believers. They'd be happy to talk to you about it too. It's pretty simple to, to turn our lives over to Jesus. But this is the message that we carry, just like the shepherds. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing one closing song. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for this truth, for the truth that was proclaimed by the angels to the shepherds that is the same good news that we know now. God, I pray for those who believe that we would be messengers of yours, to be prepared to give an account, a reason for the hope that is in us. For those who, who do not yet believe, God, I pray that you would speak to them this Christmas, that, that this would be a message that would continue to knock at the door of their hearts, that, you might, that they might let you in and turn their lives over to you and find the hope and joy and peace that comes only from you. In Jesus' blessed name I pray, amen. Found, far as the curse is found, 